Welcome to Magic and Mayhem. Discover the secrets to creating magnificent books for kids and teens. Magic and Mayhem is a free podcast and ebook series brought to you by the Australian Writer Centre. If you're interested in writing for kids and teens, join us on a journey that's set to inspire and enhance your own writing skills. Download your free Magic and Mayhem ebook at magicandmayhem.com.au. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm founder of the Australian Writers' Centre and I'm so thrilled to bring you this curated series of interviews. You'll hear from picture book authors, chapter book authors, middle grade authors, young adult authors and also from publishers in the children's writing industry. So you'll get a wonderful overview on how to write books for kids and teens. This episode's guest is none other than Alison Tate, who is my co-host over on my other podcast called So You Want to Be a Writer. She's also one of our awesome presenters at the Australian Writers' Centre. As you'll hear, Alison had an extremely varied career path. She was always in magazines, which is where I met her. We used to have desks right next to each other back in 1999, a lifetime ago. But then she changed roles regularly um, and changed publications as well, learning more and more as she went. Honestly, I think Alison could write about anything. When we recorded this interview, Alison had just finished writing book three of The Mapmaker Chronicles, which is now published and has been hugely successful. Since then, Alison has also published another popular middle grade adventure series, The Adaban Cipher. So she's been very busy. But then, as you'll hear, she always has been. When did you know that you wanted to write? See, you're going to start with the biggies, aren't you? Those are the hard questions. That yeah, one. Well, you're smart. Fav- you can do those it. Those ones and what's your favourite book are always my favourite question. Okay, I promise I won't ask you what your favourite book is. I oh, thank you. Uh, look, to be honest with you, I I don't think I ever made a conscious decision that I was going to write. I think it just was always something that I did. I wasn't that kid that was writing novels or anything like that. I wanted to be a journalist. Um, I was I remember being in in year eleven, and I was quite determined that I was going to go and walk at, work at the Sydney Morning Herald, and I got work experience there. And I went and I did that in the newsroom, and I walked away from it just thinking that I never want to do that. Um, Why? Ah, uh, because we. I did two days with the reporters and I remember it was like five o'clock in the morning and we were sitting outside the house of somebody, you know, out in the suburbs of Western Sydney um, and their family had been involved in a terrorist attack or something in Germany and had been, there'd been a bomb and we were on their doorstep at five in the morning wanting photos from mm. them. And I understand that that is the news process. I get that, but I didn't want to do that. I just didn't I, like it just turned me off for life I thought it, you know if you can't do that Alison then then that's not the job for you so I kind of walked away from it at that point and I, I was really quite lost and I was going off to uni to do a BA and I you know like really and um, and then sort of I decided um, that I would do a business college course because my other career plan this is very important my other career plan was that I was going to be a Hollywood star so, oh yeah, no, you really. And you thought a business co- college course well, would help you become a Hollywood, a Hollywood star. star. Yeah, you know why I knew that because I knew that what that that Hollywood stars that actors had to do a lot of waitressing and stuff like that, like while they were <laughs> waiting to be famous. And I'm a really bad waitress. I had done a few years of waitressing at one of my local cafes and realised that I really needed to go and work at the corner shop instead. Mm-hmm. So I did that, and so I thought, well, if I learn to type, then 
you know, I can do that while I'm just waiting for Hollywood to ring me. So of that course. was that was my plan. I was sick. So that was basically what I decided to do. I would learn to type and then I would wait for Hollywood and then I would go and be rich and famous. But that kind of didn't work out for me. But what did work out for me, (laughs) what did work out for me is that my business college course got me a job at Federal Publishing and I worked there um, typing for about 12 months before a cadetship came up and I put my hand up for the cadetship and convinced them that they needed to turn me into a magazine journalist. <laughs> wow. And so I know. were you actually, what were you typing? Oh, I worked at Electronics Australia magazine and Your Computer magazine. And I used to send out, so my job initially was to send out, because when you're on Electronics Australia magazine, it, it was like all these electronics projects that you could mm. make at home, like radios and things. Oh, yes. So people would... Um, write in and they would want the instructions from a back issue like 20 years ago for how to make a you know a radio or whatever and I would have to find it photocopy it and send it out to them that was my first job and I typed all the letters for the editor because he's you know like back in the day there was no computer Mm. so I was on a on my manual typewriter typing up the correspondence and yeah that's what I did so you got 12 months you got the cadetship and what happened then um, I got the cadetship and I worked on Prevention Magazine for about 12 months. But in but I also worked at Countdown Magazine mm-hmm. and got to go out and ask James Rain what colour underpants he wore. Mm-hmm. And I worked at um, – I edited a, a heavy metal magazine for a little while. So I was the actual right. editor. So I was ringing all these heavy metal bands in the US at, you know, like 7 o'clock in the morning to talk to them about their sex, drugs and rock and roll lifestyle. Do you like heavy metal? No, not at all. And I was sitting back here. It was the hilarious thing was it was like it was like the late nineties and the fashion was all for like floral frocks with Doc Martens and things like that. Yes. So I'd I'd be sitting in my office in Sydney in my floral frock, mm-hmm. talking to some bloke <laughs> wearing black eyeliner and leather over in LA, which was quite hilarious. Yes, I did that for a while and I eventually ended up um at Australian country style magazine and I was yep. the sub editor and production editor there until I went to London. I went to London about uh, I think I'd been at Federal Publishing for about three years when I went to London. And how long did you spend in London? I was in London for two years. I worked Doing. at uh, I worked at well I travelled around and you know drank too much beer and did yes. all that stuff as you do. Yes. Um, but I also managed to get myself a job at um, Homes and Gardens magazine mm. in Britain, and I, I worked there as a sub editor for about eighteen months. And I was like their random pet Australian that they used to all stare at. <laughs> Oh, honestly, like you would have thought I was some exotic creature from outer space the way they carried on sometimes. Oh, but anyway, and I lived in a share house over there with, you know, 70,000 people sleeping on the floor. So you came back to Australia and you worked at? I came back to Australia and I worked at um, Vogue magazine. I went to Vogue Australia as the chief sub. Um, I did a maternity leave position there for 12 months um, as chief sub, and um, which was a step up you know, for me, which mm. was great. And I had to learn, <laughs> I had the most hilarious steep learning curve about fashion. And I mm. remember I'd be sitting there because it was the chief sub's job to write a lot of the headlines, obviously, in the fashion copy and stuff. And I'd be sitting in the in the fashion cupboard with these glamorous young things, you know, in all their gear. And they'd be trying to explain to me why the pointy shoe was so important mm-hmm. and why the you know why with the the that particular a-line skirt was was vitally essential mm-hmm. and I'd be like can you just like really can you just tell me what it's for like why do I want to wear this and they're like oh it's so this and it's so that so it, it was a very very good 
learning curve on taking foreign information and turning it into stuff that people could read. It was really, really, really good for that. But they were great. Like that, that was that was one of the most glamorous magazine experiences I've ever had. It was fantastic. Mm. Loved it. Loved and then it. moved on to. Then I went to because I the um so the twelve months was up and I decided at that point that I really didn't want to edit other people's copy anymore. I'd been mm. writing bits and pieces for the magazines that I'd worked on all that time um, but my main focus at that stage was still editing it was still sub-editing and and that sort of stuff and I actually just got really sick of getting really bad copy in and making people look good I got really sick of it mm-hmm. and so I decided that I was going to be a features writer myself mm. so I got myself a job outside of the industry I went to work um, for the public service at the Sydney Cove Sydney Harbour Foreshore Authority yeah. as their publications coordinator and I basically like put together brochures for them during the day and I started freelancing and I saw my first job was at Cosmo and I started to just build my portfolio from there mm-hmm. and I also started because the job was so boring and I had so much time on my hands I started writing romance fiction while I was sitting in my office oh even back company. then even back then because I I was just like oh, well, I need something to do here that makes me look busy I know I'll write a book <laughs> why romance fiction um, well, it made sense to me at the time, romance fiction, because I had been working in magazines and I um, I sort of thought the way that romance fiction works is that there's so many different li- – they call them lines and each line it has a certain level of, of sex or a certain level of humour or a certain level of, you know, dastardly shakes taking women across the deserts and all that sort of stuff. Um, so you could choose a line that's that kind of appealed to you and, and you had an idea of, of the voice that, that you needed for that and stuff. So it was like magazines in a way. Like I thought it made sense. Like I could write to the line and, and I had a target market and a demographic and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And and that was that was a good theory, shall we say, but mm. it was not actually didn't work out like that. Because there's a lot more to romance than meets the eye. And I found that um, I was able to – I could write the stories all right, but what I really, really struggled with was uh, not getting bored with trying to keep an emotional bond going for 55,000 words. <laughs> I really struggled with that and I kept bringing in too many characters and, mm. you know, there was too much going on. But anyway, that's when I started writing my first one was when I was working at the Sydney Cove Authority. Gosh, okay. Yeah. So then you were freelancing and then what happened? Um, so I was freelancing and then I applied for a job at Clio and I got it. And yes. so I went to Clio as the – my title at the time was the lifestyle editor. Yes. And I went to Clio and um, I was at Clio for nearly two years. And it was a huge – because it was my first full-time writing job. Like I had never – like I'd, I'd been – you know, I'd written obviously brochures at the rocks and I was um, freelancing and stuff like that. But the – that's where you really learn about deadlines and mm. you really, really learn about productivity mm. is working in an environment like that. Mm. Um, and it was a huge upswing for me and managing sort of all the different interviews that you needed. And, of course, mm. we're talking about a time when you couldn't just Google an association oh, yeah. for people who – so when you're looking for case studies, you're on the phone and you're through the yellow pages yeah. and you're like ringing people up cold mm. saying, how would you like to be in my story about women who were left at the altar? Mm. You know, it's stuff like that. It's really quite um, – it was, it was pretty 
it was hard work in a lot of ways, but a lot of fun. Like everybody dressed like they were going to a cocktail party every day. So yes. you know, the atmosphere around you is really quite fun. But mm. it, it was a really, really good grounding in this is how you meet a deadline mm. and this is how you get the words done. Because, you know, if you didn't get the words done, you got into big trouble, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where I met you. And that's where we met, exactly. And do you remember those, you know, speaking of, because of glamorous environments and things like that, we never had to buy makeup or lipstick. No. Or perfume ever. <laughs> oh, I had truckloads of the truck stuff. Truckloads and CDs and books. CDs. And, That's you like, go home remember, with bags full of stuff. Yeah, bags full. Because do you remember we used to have those, they called them grabs at the time. I'm sure yeah. every magazine has a different term for it. Yeah. But um, where all of the free stuff gets yeah. piled into this huge table in the middle yeah. Yeah. and everyone has a go and pick one thing and it just goes on forever because there's so much stuff and you end yeah. up with all this makeup and perfumes and, you yeah. know, And so stuff. much stuff that you never used. Yeah, that's so true. I used to give a lot of it away. Yeah. Yeah, because I never used it. Uh, okay, then after Cleo, you went to? Um, so after Cleo, so I did two years at Cleo and I, at that point, decided that I could not write another orgasm story yeah, to I save know. myself. Do you know what, what really tipped me over the edge? Let me tell you about my defining moment at Cleo. Wow. Because it's really quite fun. Um so I had I was doing a story <clears throat> where I had to um, I had to get ten guys to identify the clitoris on a diagram. <laughs> it was called "Can He Find Your Clitoris?" Mm-hmm. So I had to find ten guys willing to identify the clitoris, you know, with an X on a diagram, and then <laughs> have their photo next to it with and who they were and how many girlfriends they'd had oh and God. all this kind of stuff, right? So yeah, I'm in really high point in oh my journalistic my career. But one of these guys. I had to go to Kingswood. Kingswood? Kingsgrove? Kingsgrove. That's it, Kingswood. <laughs> that's Lex Marinos. Yes. Um, I had to go to Kingsgrove Petrol Station. So I caught the train out there and I had to go to Kingsgrove Petrol Station and meet him there and so that on the, on the bonnet of his car – he identified the clitoris on a diagram for me oh and then I had to God. take a photo of him against the petrol station wall oh and God. get him to fill out the questionnaire and then head back to back, back into Sydney. <laughs> and I got back to Sydney and I walked into the office of the editor and I said, okay, that's me done. This is my notice. <laughs> I'm finished. I'm not doing <gasps> this anymore. It completely tipped me over the edge. And oh, I, I went to work. I didn't even know that. Oh, it was, no, it was, it, I was, no, it was, that was the low point. And, um, and then I went to work for HQ magazine. Yes. Three days a week. I went back to subbing three days a week and decided that I would just focus on my freelancing career at that point. That was, that was what I decided to do because I so, thought oh, I just need to get away from this. During this time, did you, were you writing the romance novel? Were you writing other things? During that time, I wasn't writing very much of anything because I was writing so much at work mm-hmm. I, and I was working such long hours that my writing, you know, the, the writing kind of inspiration thing was being fulfilled to a degree beyond, beyond the clitoris story. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like the, the, the clear, the writing for magazines like that is a lot of fun and you've really got to work hard to get the voice right and all of that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. So I was doing an awful lot of writing and so I wasn't writing fiction at all. I had just basically like that, that had just gone on hold um while I I worked you know at my career at that point Mm. and I was also at that stage still thinking that maybe I wanted to edit a magazine like I was still thinking that that career trajectory might be towards you know going into that Mm. but I think being at Clio showed me um that 
being an editor would take me away from what I liked doing the most and that, mm. was, that was the writing um, because essentially as the editor of a magazine and it's even more so now um, but as the editor of a magazine you're running a business yep. you're essentially the business manager and it's yep. your job to make sure that the content is going to sell and the cover lines and things like that but you're also in a thousand meetings a day with advertisers and a thousand meetings a day with your management and yep. and I, I just you know it really opened my eyes to the fact that that probably wasn't actually what I wanted Mm. Um, so when I went sideways a little bit to back to HQ and, and back to sort of thinking that I would focus on freelancing, I at that point started to reconsider writing fiction again. Mm. But then I went and worked at House and Garden three days a week as the features editor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that for a couple of years. So I was doing three days. And we've talked about this before in workshops and things we've done. You can never underestimate the absolute bonus that a two or three day a week job can be yeah. when you are building a freelance career. Yep. So I had the three days um, where I was really, really, really busy and then I had two days at home in which I was um, was freelancing and I was freelancing a lot. I, I had a lot of work at that point because I was still writing a lot for Clio. I was freelancing not just for um, – not just working three days a week at House and Garden, but also freelancing for them because there was a lot of stuff that needed to be written. Mm-hmm. So I was doing a lot of work. And um, I I did that for two years. And then I went back to Clio three days a week as the online editor, which mm-hmm. was great because it was a new um, – you know, it was very new then, all websites yeah. and things. And I got in at the ground floor and I learned a lot about how it all worked. Yep. And then I got pregnant. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh-huh. So I was still freelancing and I was pregnant and I decided at that point that I was going to freelance full time. I wasn't going to go back. Wow. Mm. And so is did then when you decided to freelance full time, did the fiction and yes. other types of writing step up? Yes, absolutely. When I was at home with a baby um, and I was freelancing, I, I wrote my first freelance story when my oldest son was about three months old. So I continued working um, with the freelance stuff, but obviously as much as you can around a baby. So it was kind of like a part-time thing at that stage still. Um, and I started writing fiction to keep my mind from going insane. Mm. That's basically why I started. I'd just sort of sit there at night when everyone else was asleep and I was awake and I was an insomniac as well um, and I just started writing fiction again. But why like, fiction? Seriously. When you Why fiction? Because you could have stopped yourself from going insane from writing your know, articles. Uh, no, uh, no, that would have just driven me more insane. Really? Because, yeah, it would have because fiction was something that I could do completely independently of anybody else whereas right. free, freelance writing requires interviews, requires mm. phone calls, requires all those things. So I did those things. I made all those phone calls and did all that stuff in the 45 minutes a day in the middle of the day when my son had a sleep mm. um, and or you know, and I was wedging them in around sleeps, and I was sitting there with him on my lap at one stage, you know, trying to do an interview with a guy. It's really difficult to juggle that. It's you can never underestimate how difficult it can be. Mm. But at night, when you know he'd gone to bed, and my husband's a builder, so he would go to bed early. I'd be sitting there, and I'd go, "I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a go at this." I'd been writing some short stories, and I'd had them published in you know Women's Day and various magazines that I'd written for. Um, so I'd written some short fiction stories, and I thought I'm going to go back to this and see if I can make it work. And Where- I also started going to the romance writers conferences at that stage. Mm. Did you did most of your fiction have a romance theme, or at, at the time? Yes, at that right. stage, I was still writing. I was still thinking that I would write romance fiction because my thinking on it was most of those romance girls are writing 
uh, at that stage, they were writing a minimum of about four books a year. Yeah. So you'd write a book every three months. It was like a contract situation and it was it was like, it was almost like the, it was the very earliest stages of write, write publish, repeat. Do you mm. know what I'm saying? That mm. model was set up by the romance publishers really um, because they, they put new books out every six weeks. So they would... Um, you had there was a there was a certain amount of just there's a there's a lot of certainty of knowledge around that romance market mm. there's a lot of information available about it and so being me I did a lot of research and it made sense again it still made sense to me to do that to write mm. that sort of work because um, I'd read it you know I'd, I'd really liked it as a as a in my late teens and stuff like that I mean I must right. have read a million of them when I was hmm. about seventeen Did you read um, all the sweet dreams books. I read all of those, Sweet Valley High. Yeah. I read everything. Like, I mean, you know, when you're a voracious reader like I am, series mm. are a really good thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I was still sort of – so the the first novel I ever wrote was a romance novel and the second novel I ever wrote was also a romance novel, category romance, right straight down the line. Mm. And then I won a mentor in a competition and I was, you know, sending her this second book that I was writing and she kept saying to me, Alison, I think you need a broader canvas. Alison mm. – I think you need a broader canvas. Um, try something bigger. And so that's when I sat down to write my first, you know, commercial women's fiction novel was, mm. was after this mentor said to me, I just think you need, to, you need something with 90,000 words. You've got to go bigger. So I did. So when you write, when, you, so when you've got the background that you have had and it's very much feature writing and non-fiction, it is steeped in journalism, it's facts and interviews, they help they essentially shape the story of course you admit you bring the story to life but the facts are the facts and they exist you don't have to make them up but when it comes to writing fiction it has to come from your imagination where do you get your inspiration from well the ideas for your stories always always from around me uh, and I know people say that and you kind of look at them like what are you talking about like there's, <laughs> there's no Vidanians you know down on the south coast um, but they basically like ideas come from conversations that you have or from things that you're going through so the first commercial women's fiction novel that I wrote I wrote it um, at a time when my husband and I were talking about moving to the south coast and I had I, I went to high school down here so for me it was like coming back and in some ways I had a real issue with it because it was a sort of um, you know it was it felt in some ways it feels like a failure to return to your hometown even though you're coming back for different reasons for whatever reasons you want so I, I basically wrote a book my first novel explored that. I had three characters at different stages and one of the things I've never really understood and I still to this day do not understand is people who grow up in a town like I lived in mm. who don't ever leave, yeah. who just, you know, stay and get married and they're, they're happy as clams, mm. you know, they're so happy. Mm. Um, I was never that person. So to me, writing the novel gave me a chance to kind of explore that world a little bit as well. And mm. um, so the, that's that's where the idea for that came from. I mean, the idea for the map makers came from two conversations that I had with my son. Mm. You know, we were talking about um, one night we were standing out the back and he asked me, how far does space go? And you mm. kind of go when you start thinking about that and what it, what it, what might be the at the edges, mm. you, it really is it hurts your head. And then the next night he sort of asked me, 
um, we were reading a horrible histories book, which he loves. And he sort of said to me, oh, how did they map the world? Because he knows I like maps. I've got lots of um, books about maps and I've got, you know, antique maps around and various things. And, um, and I said to him, well, they had to go. You know, they had to get in a boat and go out and see what was there. And, um, and then I had that moment of mothering genius <laughs> where I said to him, they would have felt exactly the same way as we felt when we looked out into space last night. Mm. And, and it was just like, and I, just right there and then I had the idea for the book, right there, just wow. in those conversations. And, I mean, obviously I then went and developed it and I had a race. And, but I had the idea for a race to map the world and a boy who didn't want to go because mm. seriously, who would, mm. just right from those two conversations that I had with him. So I think ideas are around you. And, and I think that, I mean, it's like I say to my school groups when I go out and do school talks, they're all around you and it's a matter of training yourself to see them. That's mm. all it is. So, yeah. How about your earlier romance novels? Where did the inspiration come from for those? The inspiration for those came from every romance novel that I had ever read. And I think, <laughs> I think that was the problem with them. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, I think what I was trying to do in those stories was to, um, was to mimic every romance novel that I'd ever read. And that's why they didn't work for me. I think mm. you have to approach a romance novel the same way you would approach any novel. You have to take it with take into it that flash of inspiration that just makes a, makes an idea come to life. Like mm. with the map makers, it was just I couldn't not write that idea. It was mm. so interesting to me that I couldn't not write it. And so um, I think you know, like you have to look for those ideas. You've got to look for the ones that make you a little give you a little goosebumps and go and make you go, oh, that could be really good. Yep. Those ones are the ones you look for. Now, uh, the first book in the Mapmaker Chronicles has done ridiculously well. It's already in reprint. Yes, and, and it's actually being reprinted again, I found out today. I'm oh, gonna, my God. I know, I'm just about Congratulations. to Congratulations. I know, it's very exciting, yes. Wow, and also very exciting that you were in the top 10 books of 2014. Yes, that was on Bookworld. Um, yeah, from so, Bookworld. yeah, no, it's made a few of the best of 2014 lists, which is um, just really overwhelming, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, it's wonderful. So, Book Two comes out next year. Um, yes. What month again? It comes out at the beginning of April in 2015. Book, book Three? Book three is out October 2015. Okay, so now you've written book three. Yes. And what are you working on now? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? <laughs> I have written book three. I'm still just um, – the, the my my publisher has done the structural edit on it and I'm just going through that at the moment, just finishing a few things and adding a few bits and pieces in and stuff. Um, I've been proofreading book two. So that's already – they're sort of like pretty much done. A part of me just doesn't want to let go of them, so I think I'm mm. going to tinker with that for a bit longer. Um, but I – have been considering my next move. I, I have just handed to my agent um, a manuscript for another women's commercial women's fiction novel. Mm -hmm. um, so I've just sent that to my agent. I finished that um, last week, which was exciting. And um, I, I spent some, I've spent some time thinking about what I might do for next year. I'm, I've got quite a few festivals to go to oh, yeah. and uh, school group things to do and stuff like that. So my, I guess I'm at that point now where um, I have to balance in the promotional stuff as well as writing stuff and, and all that sort of thing. Um, I have somebody who has approached me wanting me to do a non-fiction project, um, so I'm considering whether I might do that. Um, and 
yeah, I, to be honest with you, I just think I need to lie down for a few weeks. Yeah, fair enough. And give it some thought. <laughs> so in our, first epi- least, no. uh, yeah. in our first episode back in 2014, you'll tell us. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, I'll be totally ready. I'll be lying on the beach thinking to myself, what am I going to do in 2015? I mean, I guess, you know, the joyous thing is that I have some options. I've got, you know, things to choose from. So that's always a, a yes. really nice place to be. So when you are writing, in the middle of writing a book, tell us about your writing routine like do you have a you know because there's that book that we've referred to in the podcast before uh, called daily rituals and it's about how artists and authors some artists and authors have a daily ritual that they stick with no matter what do Mm. you have any rituals before you start writing or anything like that to get you into the zone um not really because I'm usually working on so many different things like I'm still doing freelance work I'm still doing um, writing websites I'm still doing social media work I've got a whole lot of things on so basically I I sit down I, I send myself an email every night of all the things that I need to do the next day I have a look at that I work out which where the priorities are and everything you know obviously the paid work is always prioritized the deadlines are prioritized if it's due that day clearly that's what you work on um so I look at that and then I, when I'm actually writing a novel, I'm, I just basically try to get some words done every day. I don't, I don't put pressure on myself to do a thousand or anything like that, mm. but I try to push the story forward every day. So I start on a certain day and I usually have in my head, like with the Map Makers Chronicles, both of those books that I wrote in 2014, um, you know, they were on fairly, sh- on my, t- my deadlines have been fairly tight this year. Mm. So I, I like to get a first draft down. I just really like to push forward and get that first. I, I'm that person. I'm not someone who sits there and um, edits every day. I don't go mm. back. I don't go back and edit or anything like that. I read the last few paragraphs of where I was up to and then I just go forward. And I just write and write and write until I stop. I, I stop at a natural place. So if mm. I'm writing and writing and writing and writing, and if I write 400 words and they feel like I'm walking through concrete, I go mm. and weed the garden. Yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, other days I'll sit down and I'll write 2,000 words in an hour, you know. So mm. it just depends on the day. And But I don't put pressure on myself. I just try to push the book forward. I just try to keep the momentum going mm. forward. Um, I think that's kind of cute. You send yourself an email every day. I do. All the things that you need I do. to do. Do you, know, do you know why I do that? I <laughs> do that. Me. I do that because I am an insomniac. And if I, don't, mm-hmm. if I don't write it down before I go to bed, like it's the last thing I do every day mm-hmm. is I write this list mm-hmm. and I email it to myself. And then I know that I can go to bed and everything's there. I don't have to lie there thinking, oh, what if I forget to do that? Oh, what if I forget to do that? Oh, did I do that? Oh, did I do that? So it's all there. And it's, I, I, I learned it from a, a sleep psychologist years and years and years ago that I see this is the other great thing about features writing. You get to talk mm. to all the experts. Yeah. So I was having trouble with insomnia. So I did a story about that and I got to talk to like Australia's number one sleep psychologist mm-hmm. and she suggested, it was, it was she who suggested writing it all down before you go to bed and then you're not, you don't have that mind churn, you know, mm. that you can have. So mm. I've just always done it and now I just email it to myself because I can't read my handwriting. And so when you wake up in the morning and you open your email, do you ever reply? To myself? <laughs> yes. No, I, I don't. But I do take an enormous amount of joy about like <laughs> deleting things during the day. I open it up and then I just delete bits of it until it's like pristinely empty. Love it. Love it. <laughs> I know. All right. It gets you through, Val, right? Yes. <laughs> I love it. You can reply to yourself and say, nah, not doing that. <laughs> don't have time. Don't get real. Ridiculous. I'll forward it to you. All right. Who are you? <laughs> Crazy woman. 
<laughs> well, we're almost run out of time. And um, but uh, I thought, how was that, Al? You know, nice, nice was, little yeah. surprise. That, Thanks uh, for putting me on the spot like that, Valerie, and making my making me babble on about myself for twenty minutes. That's no, just I thought awesome. It would be a good way to end the year. And listeners, if you were uh, thrilled and happy to uh, hear Alison as the writer in residence this week, please do tweet us and let us know. <laughs> and if you weren't thrilled, please don't tweet us. <laughs> <laughs> Alison had this wonderful, successful career as a features writer and editor, but she couldn't quite break through with her fiction. It wasn't until she had that spark, that internal inspiration that led her to write The Mapmaker Chronicles, that she found success in this area. You often hear people say, find your voice, and that's exactly what happened with Alison. Rather than trying to copy popular romance novels or write what she thought she should write, Alison wrote from the heart and from her own motivation. It made all the difference in the world. Anyone who knows Alison will have heard her say that you can't wait for inspiration to show up. You have to assume that she's stuck in traffic, so start without her. That's not to say that inspiration doesn't exist, but you have to create the circumstances for it to appear. One of the biggest hurdles aspiring writers face is simply finding the time to write. Alison knows how challenging it can be to fit in a writing routine around full-time work, family commitments, a busy schedule, the list goes on. Sometimes it feels impossible and Alison is one of the busiest people I know. But if writing is important to you, and we bet it is because you're listening to this podcast, then it's crucial you prioritise your passion. Learn from Alison's years of experience as a successful children's author with her popular online course, Make Time to Write. It's an awesome course and really gives you a practical framework so that you can make time to write. So go to writercenter.com.au slash time for all the details on how to carve out a regular writing routine and to fill your life with creativity. That's writercenter.com.au slash time. As Alison says, ideas are everywhere. You have to kind of train yourself to find them, to see them. That doesn't mean you have to be scribbling in your notebook all the time to the point that you don't experience life, but keep your eyes and ears and your heart open and inspiration will find you. If you want to find a writing community that might just be the tribe you're looking for, go to writercenter.com.au and sign up to our weekly newsletter. That's writercenter.com.au.